Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Catherine Van Zippel, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. Hello. This week, we hear from Jennifer Kaplan Burns, Assistant Head of School, Advancement and External Affairs at Solbury School in New Hope, Pennsylvania. Jen provides our first parent perspective within the world of independent school fundraising. She tells us about the history of Solbury and how it differentiates its ethos from other independent schools. She also tells us about her current campaign, which is breaking very exciting historic records. Prior to her current position at Solbury, Jen was the Director of Advancement at Wilmington Montessori School. She also spent nine years as the Director of Philanthropy at the Nature Conservancy. Jen is a graduate of the College of the Holy Cross. She's also a dedicated case volunteer, having served as the committee co-chair for the Case District 2 for five years. This is episode three of a four-episode miniseries in partnership with Case. The Council for Advancement and Supportive Education is the global nonprofit association dedicated to educational advancement professionals who share the goal of championing education to transform lives and society. Now let's get started. Jen, welcome to the debrief. Well, thank you, Catherine. It's great to be here. Why don't you give us a little bit of background so that our listeners can get to know you as a guest? I have always called myself the accidental fundraiser because I really didn't even know that fundraising was a thing as I started out in my career. I graduated in the middle of the 90s from the College of the Holy Cross with a desire to be a man or woman for others is in court, you know, in keeping with the Jesuit ideal mm-hmm. and with a degree in political science. And so I went to Washington, D.C. to work on Capitol Hill and I eventually found my way into nonprofit work. But as a program person, what I was doing, focusing on civic participation was all philanthropically funded. And that was my introduction into development and this whole other world that I had no idea even existed because all of the projects that I worked on were funded through the generosity of others. And so as I learned more about it, I realized that there was a lot about that world that I really liked. I liked the idea of meeting people, of hearing their stories, of talking about challenges and opportunities and and how you could bring together resources to make great things happen for great organizations. And so pretty shortly after that, I found myself at the Nature Conservancy, uh, which is a global conservation nonprofit. Uh, I spent 10 years there and in two locations, starting off in Maryland DC chapter and then moving to the Delaware chapter. And that is really where I learned all of the ins and outs of fundraising, Uh, annual giving, advancement services, principal giving, leadership giving, major gift officer, all of those pieces. I also learned the importance of communications and marketing and how that fits in with advancements work, uh, as well as brand building. As my family grew, my focus then shifted into education, where my kids were became very, very important for me. And I've spent the past 16 years working in independent schools in fundraising, including nine years at Solbury. 
That is quite the journey, but it makes so much sense. It sounds like you built on each step and, you know, continued to expand. It, it is a non-traditional path, I think. I think a lot of folks come into independent schools either from higher education or as a graduate. But for me, coming in as a parent made a lot of sense. So tell us about Salisbury. You know, one of the things we've learned in bringing, I mean, all schools have history, but particularly with the independent schools, I think I'm just seeing a theme that there's this incredible rich history. So tell us about Solberry's. Solberry School is really what school should be for so many students that are out there. It is small, it is flexible, focuses on creativity, and it's informal, but with really high expectations for achievement for its students. And that has created a pretty fantastic atmosphere for learning. And it's been incredible to be associated with the school. Our four founders were four teachers who summered at a camp in New Hampshire. And one night, the, the lore goes that one night, they were sitting around talking and saying, why is it that boys love summer camp and hate school? And they love to learn and engage in new things and try things out. And at school, that feels very hard and difficult and not like something that they wanted to do. And so over time, they just kept talking about what are the core factors? What is it about summer camp that could be incorporated into what at that time, we're talking about 1925 here, was a fairly regimented approach to education? And how could that become a school uh, and a place for learning? That was the, really the genesis of Solberry School, and it was built on the idea that learning should, could be informal and still rigorous. Hmm. And we started with four boys our first year, and we achieved accreditation in 1930. We became co-ed in 1949 when we merged with Holmquist School for Girls, and now we're approaching our centennial anniversary in 2022 with an enrollment of 240 students, which is way bigger than the four boys that were here our yeah. first year. <laughs> so how do you think that curiosity and inquiry around camp versus school informs the way the school operates today? I mean, is there still that vibe or that sense of an initial mission? Absolutely. There's a couple of different ways that you can see it today. One is how the school uh, campus is set up. It is not one large building with a whole bunch of wings and different hallways that go here and there. It's set up in small buildings throughout now 140 acre campus. And that kind of exploration allows for inquiry. It allows for conversations as you're walking to and from different places. It allows for interaction with nature as you're going from the athletic center down to the world languages center over to the ideal lab. Another way that you can see the informality is I'm not Ms. Burns at Solbury School. The students call me Jen. And that- well really makes, I believe, a significant difference in the dynamic that is set up from the very beginning. 
it allows for a closeness. It allows for that informality breaks down so many barriers in asking for help in collaborating around a project. Mm-hmm. And that is something that has been with us from the very beginning of Solbury School. So what's the makeup of your team? How big is it and what's the focus and the priority? When I joined Solbury, we had two two full-time positions, including myself, and a part-time auction and development planner. The communications position was sort of floating, for lack of a better term. It really, it it was a person who was trying to do great things, but it wasn't really clear what they were aiming toward or who was overseeing their work. And so we were under-resourced, and that was really showing itself in a lot of ways in terms of staff satisfaction, our fundraising numbers, and really an overall understanding of what advancement is that it does and what it does for a school. After researching other institutions, I went to our head of school with a plan and talking about how adding some relationship-based positions coupled with bringing the communications and marketing position under our auspices would really improve what we were achieving as a school. I love having communications and marketing as part of advancement because it really keeps communications front of mind for all of us as fundraisers. And it's, and that is so critically important. Love to pause you because I think the idea of going to the head of school and asking for more positions is probably very inspiring to some of our listeners and perhaps terrifying to hear that (laughs) you did that. Can you just tell us a little bit more about how that, how you prepared yourself for that conversation and what you said? Yeah, I mean, it was a little terrifying. And anyone who knows our head of school will laugh a little bit at that because Tom is an incredible leader who is so approachable and really understands the value of advancement and marketing and communications. And yet I knew I was going in asking for more for the advancement department, which is a challenge in any budget. It's a challenge in any school, and especially any time you are asking for a position that is not in the classroom. Right, right. And so what I did was really look at some of our peer institutions and how they were setting up their advancement teams and what positions they had. I consulted with CASE and with NAIS around best practices and, and how we needed to be responsible fundraisers and figured out what kind of bandwidth we really needed in order to achieve those goals. That's super inspiring. And and you got it, right? You got more positions. We are now at about eight positions within our department. And I've actually just gone back and asked for a few more going forward. Hmm. Um, We've grown in a way that made a lot of sense for a relationship-based school, you know, so investing in building relationships. And we've seen that benefit both in the relationships and in the numbers. Our annual fund has grown by 50% in the last four years. Uh, And that's while we were launching a capital campaign. The gamble that our head of school took 
because you can always bring in plans and you, and we did all of our research, but at the end of the day, you really don't know until you execute. The gamble that he took seemed to have paid off. I think so. Congratulations. Thank you. So you've said the term relationship-based a couple of times and what, what does that look like in terms of titles and composition? Two of my position of the advancement positions actually have relations in the title. We have a parent relations position and we have an alumni relations position. Okay. Bo both of them are fundraisers, although they don't really have portfolios or targeted goals. Their work is around building relationships with those targeted audiences and reaching out to them in ways that make sense. We saw that really expand over the last two years during the pandemic. Yeah, I bet. I bet those roles were critical during that time. So when they do bring in gifts, is that because it comes up as a result of the engagement or when does that occur if the fundraising piece? Everyone in terms of building the relationship is part of the fundraising team. We also have an annual fund manager who focuses, has a concrete fundraising goal and focuses okay. on reaching that each year. Mm -hmm. We're in a capital campaign. We have a campaign manager and myself are the chief fundraisers around that. We are working very closely with the relationship-based positions to make sure that we know who we're talking to and we have a really good understanding of how their interest in the school can meet the priorities for the school today. And that's what turns into fundraising gifts. So are they, this is another term that I use, I don't know if you've heard it, but would you say they're discovery officers in a way where they're learning about people in the community and sharing that knowledge and like they're building the pipeline? Absolutely. When you think that's about terrific. them, in, when you think about them in terms of the fundraising cycle, they're yeah. helping with identification and cultivation. Right. That is very cool. You are a parent. How mm -hmm. does being a parent inform your work at Solberry? I mean, it certainly makes it more intimate in a place that's already intimate with two hundred <laughs> something students. But what's that like for you? That's right. So my son graduated in 2019, but he was there for four years. At the beginning of his time there, we made an agreement that I would not go in the dining hall. That oh. most... <laughs> the That's most all it took. <laughs> the most teenagers did not have their mom watching them eating lunch with their friends in high school. And, and I understood that point of view. And so uh, that was so that was one of the the agreements that we made in the beginning. For me, it changed. I was at Solberry first, mm -hmm. and then my son enrolled, and it really deepened my relationship with the institution because I understood. I always understood how the projects we were working on, and the fundraising that we were doing, and the activities that we were communicating about were important but then they became deeply personal. And then I understood how my son as an alumnus was going to continue to interact with the institution and continue to see the projects that we were building today for generations to come. And it just made it so much more rich as an experience, both professionally and as a parent. 
that's something that it, it seems more common in the independent school world to have the family ties. I mean, of course, in higher ed, a lot of people will work at their alma maters, or maybe they'll have a spouse that's attended, but this student-parent relationship is, seems really special. It's incredible, really. So you talked about scaling the team physically, and I know that you know you have been really creative with how you've used your resources, but how have you been able to scale financially and then also reputationally as you've continued to make a name for yourself and the team and the school? The key part has really been communication. At a lot of schools, definitely at Solbury, what happens under the advancement heading, I think is something of a mystery, sometimes to be approached with suspicion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And definitely a lot of confusion. And so really trying to, for the reputational part, get out within our communities, talk more with our faculty and staff and help them see their role and understanding of fundraising like admissions is everyone's work. Talking more with our board about how they can support and make our efforts bigger by being the volunteers that we need them to be communication at all levels has just been key as we've increased the personnel to continue to exponentially increase what we're doing with them. You're absolutely right. And there's the misunderstanding. It's, I don't know if you've had this experience in talking with like friends about what it is that you do or something like that, but I'm often met with the, so you beg for money for a living. I know. You know, once the hair on the back of my neck goes down <laughs> after that one, you know, it really is a tremendous opportunity to educate people about what it is that advancement is, because I find that I have never had to beg once I offer an opportunity. And that's really what it is that we do. We take what happens, what the experts, whether they're teachers, whether they're conservation biologists, whatever, we take what they do on a day-to-day -day basis and help amplify it and help other people see how their role in success can be. And that is so satisfying. And I wish you could, I could put you on the loudspeaker, but you are on a podcast, so that's good. Many people can hear that, but that's exactly right. And that is what we're doing. So speaking of which, how's your campaign going? Tell us a little bit about the planning, and I know you've already had some really exciting successes. So whatever you're able to share, we'd love to hear it. You know, I just did an update for our faculty and staff earlier this week. So perfect. it's pretty front of mind for me and, yeah. and I'm thrilled and humbled by what we've been able to achieve. A little bit of our backstory around the campaign before we jump into it. Yeah. It's our head of school started at Solbury in 2007, and that was the end of their last campaign until this one. When Tom came in, there were issues around deferred maintenance and things like that that really needed to be focused on first. And so there were lots of small fundraising efforts that went into that. There was also some and turnover. Deferred maintenance is not easy to fundraise for, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> there was also a, a little bit of turnover within our office. When I came in in 2012, we started talking about strategic planning. We were finishing up the deferred maintenance, really feeling like we'd gotten a handle on 
what was happening on campus and, and that it was in good shape, ready to start thinking about strategic planning. There was a big gap between our last capital campaign, the last time our community was thinking about big fundraising projects, and when we launched this capital campaign, which the, the quiet launch happened in 2018 with uh, board solicitations. So there was a little bit of nerves around that, a little bit of worry about mm -hmm. could we be successful in raising large dollars? It had been a while, but there was also a great deal of excitement and enthusiasm and thinking about, okay, what's next? What are we going to do? So, you know, 2018, 2019, we go into quiet phase and it starts with the board and we were offered this incredible opportunity by one of our board members, uh, a gentleman by the name of Jay Abbey, who has is one of our most distinguished alum and has been incredibly uh, impactful in benefiting Solbury and, and raising us to the institution that we are today. Jay has always been the leader of fundraising. He has always been the largest gift to any campaign within the last 20 or 30 years. And by the way, everyone has their J. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> there's always that dynamic of going back to their J, right? That's right. And J and so we were ready to do that. And Jay took us in a different direction with this campaign. He said, I will make a million dollar gift to your campaign, but you have to find another million dollar giver. And for a school like Solberry, a smaller school that doesn't, hadn't had a lot of experience with major gifts up until that point, that was an exciting challenge and also one that sort of made folks go, whoa, what can we do here? And so we took that out with us and went to our major prospects and said, this is what we have in front of us. Are you going to be our Abby Challenge donor? Can you help us get closer to that? And what let what came yeah. out of that were incredible conversations that happened with our prospects, even when they said, no, I'm absolutely not your major donor. I'm not your million dollar giver. But 80% of our donors to the campaign made their largest gift that they've ever made to Solar. That's and amazing. So what we've accomplished so far is to hit our initial targeted goal 18 months ahead of schedule. We did. <laughs> thank you. We did find the match for Jay's gift. I can't go into a whole lot of details around that gift at this point, other than to say that it is the largest gift the school has ever received. So exciting exciting, humbling, and just inspiring, especially in this moment, right? We were yeah. doing all of this fundraising without a playbook. Everything that you and I know about fundraising felt totally different over the last two years. And we had to kind yeah. of figure out how to navigate that. And there were definitely moments in the beginning where I thought to myself, are we crazy? Am I, you know, how can we be talking about big picture? Yeah. And yet the response, the understanding of what it is that we do and why it was so important for a school like Solberry, it just shone through. It was so clear. 
So things are looking really bright for the school and for your campaign, it sounds like. We are continuing to go. So Target is now eclipsed and we continue to go forward because phase one of our capital campaign, which includes building a new residential dorm, adding in faculty and staff housing on campus, which for a boarding school is absolutely critical, as well as investing in some of our campus infrastructure. All of that was going to total more than what we thought we were gonna be able to fundraise initially. So now everything that we do is just going toward bringing that project online faster mm -hmm. and with hopefully less debt as we move forward. And that is all good news for the institution. So just to go back to your, do you say it was the Abbey Challenger? Uh-huh. Challenge, the Abbey Challenger. The Abbey Challenge, yes. How did you create a list for the people to go to for that? Did you go based on past giving? Did you go based on their rating. There's so many different ways you could do it. We did it all of that and a little bit more. So yeah. we did invest in doing some rating and, and third party research around our entire database. One of the biggest focuses for our department over the last five years has been around our database. It was a bit of a catch-all it was not what you would call clean. I mean, I don't think any fundraiser is ever 100% thrilled with right. the quality of their data. Right. Uh, but it really, over the years, had become very subjective. And, and that made it really hard to trust what you were looking at in a prospect's record and to really identify where all of the relationships were. And so we spent a lot of time doing our own research and cleaning up records and then bringing in additional uh, resources uh, like Wealth Engine to try to get a better handle on who our folks were and what the capacity was there. We also really focused on what the inclination was. And that was through list reviews with volunteers, our own understanding of relationships that we had developed with uh, donors as well, and looking at what past giving history looked like. And generally speaking, did you find that what you thought was lower than what it actually was like across the board or like what were your takeaways generally going through that process? Sometimes we were pleasantly surprised and sometimes we were a little off base, right? Okay. Because you're always measuring inclination and capacity. And yeah. we both we yeah. both know capacity does not necessarily indicate inclination. Right. There were also really great surprises where we walked in with a prospect who we, you know, based on data should have been here, but we what we were bringing to them and their relationship with the school took the conversation to a completely different level. That's so exciting. I mean, I will say in my experience working at big research universities, but even where I am now, it's, I find that the capacity is almost always higher than we think it is. Okay. And I don't know if that's just because generally people want to be conservative to not be let down, but it's like, I would have loved to have helped you with that project. It sounds very exciting. <laughs> was it fun? 
It was, it was incredibly fun. I mean, yeah. it, it has been, I mean, and it, and it isn't over yet. We're actually going public this spring and starting to bring more people into the fold around the campaign and really talking about what Jay has put in front of us as an institution, because not only was it a challenge for fundraising, but it was so smart and such a gift to the institution because he knows that he will not be here for us to depend on forever. That's right. And, and so helping us develop the next generation of leadership giving, helping other folks really see themselves in that role of being leadership givers, what a gift it was. It, it was, there was no reason to try to create that kind of urgency. We already had it thanks to someone who was beloved within the institution. Well, I have two more questions for us. The next two I've asked to all of our members of the Independent School mini-series. And I want to talk about bravery in part because, you know, one of the things I'm kind of gleaning is like the smaller the institution, sometimes the harder. You're called to do something brave. Maybe it's not going to the cafeteria. (laughs) But your fear is real and it's stuck in your throat. What's the first thing you do? There's always those moments where you think you're super prepared for a call and suddenly you find yourself going into a direction that was completely unanticipated. And sometimes, you know, sometimes that's good and sometimes it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it's, you know, stop, take the breath, take in what is coming your way and then take purposeful action. What do you know for sure, Jen? (laughs) I know for sure after the last two years that the capacity for growth in fundraising is absolutely limitless. And I guess I'm always talking about how much you can raise, right? And what large gifts are and things like that. But just the way we do it and the way that we talk about what we do and what is important There are so many emerging trends in fundraising. Crypto, what's that going to do to all of us? Crowd (laughs) fundraising, what does that mean when it comes to nonprofits and how do you get things done? Younger generations who sometimes say that they have a mistrust or, or of more traditional institutions like ours. The growth that's out there for all of us as fundraisers is is absolutely limitless and always changing. And that is what I absolutely know for sure. Thank you for ending us on that such positive note. It was wonderful to have you on. It has been an absolute pleasure, Catherine. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. Please connect with The Debrief on Instagram at devdebrief. I would love to hear from you. Next week will be our final episode spotlighting an independent school advancement leader. Can't wait to show you who that is and hear what you think. See you then.